We were on vacation this past week with all of my family, and I come from a, a pretty large family, and we had quite a large group of us there. And so, so every day in the morning, we'd kind of go out and with several tents and lots of chairs, we'd just stake out our place on the beach. And that was kind of our home base from where there people would go off doing the various things that you do on vacation at the beach. And one group might be playing volleyball or bocce over here, another group down with the kids sitting at the, at the water and, and swimming, and some of us sitting under the tent and talking or reading. And, and almost all, always, because we were such a big group, there was, there was some group going for a walk on the beach. And that group often included my wife, who loves to walk on the beach. And it was interesting that when I wanted to find someone in our family, and there were lots of other uh, uh, crowds on the beach, when I wanted to find someone in our family amidst all the other people playing and, and having fun uh, on their vacations, I could usually identify those in my family, particularly my immediate family, by the way they walked, literally. I could look down the beach and see this small group of three or four uh, ladies walking down the beach, and I could say, there's my wife, Kathy. Oh, and that's my sister, Helen. Just from familiarity with the way that they actually walked. You could look and see that with my boys as they're you know, playing volleyball and, and my siblings. They had a particular way of walking that was familiar to me and that actually made them distinct, made them stand out from others who were doing this, the similar things around in the crowd. I could identify them simply by the way that they walked. And Paul says, so it should be in the life of God's people. Over these past weeks in our study of, of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the apostle has been given, giving a great deal of emphasis to how those who are in Christ, those who have been, who have been called by God and adopted and loved and redeemed and reconciled and given new life by Him through Christ and faith in Christ are to live their life as a result of the great riches of God's grace that are ours in Christ. He's been talking about how we as Christians are to walk in light of the abundant wealth of blessings that are ours in Christ. He says those who now belong to God, those who are in Christ, who were once dead in sin, but are now alive in, to God in Christ. Those who are joined together, who are united as one in the, in the body of Christ, in the family of God by the Holy Spirit. All of that will be recognizable. It will stand out from others in the world. will be distinguished, be, be distinguished by the way that we live our lives, the way that we walk. Paul says we are to no longer walk in the ways that we used to before we knew Christ. Our walk has changed. Our lives have been transformed. But we are to, to walk in a way worthy of the calling that we've received as God's children. We've seen over these past weeks, we're to walk together as God's people in unity and in peace, in wisdom and in truth. We're to walk in purity and in holiness we're to walk in love and, and light as the children of our Heavenly Father. And there's to be such a distinct difference in the direction and in the motivation and in the manner of life for those who are in Christ that, that the glory and the grace of God, the love and the light of Christ, the purity and the power that we have as those who are in Christ should be readily recognizable in all our relationships our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with one another in the church, and as we'll see in the coming weeks in our families, 
and even the relationships with those in our community and in the world. And that difference is brought about, Paul says, by the transforming grace of God in Christ through His Spirit that is at work in us. Through His Spirit at work in us. We are to no longer walk in the ways of the flesh, in the darkness of sin and death, but we are to walk in the light of Christ's love and the light that He has given us in His Word. And these last several weeks, we've been looking at what that means for us in relationship to one another. And as I said, Paul will go on to, to show us what that means in our homes and our family relationships. But in our passage today, Paul says, look carefully again how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. He says, we are, even though we, we live now in the light of God's truth, we live now by the, by the grace and the power of God's love poured out in Christ and the Spirit, we still are living in dark and evil days. So take care, give attention to, watch how you walk, how you live. And again, he points to the source and power we need to walk we need to walk carefully in wisdom and understanding. That is the power of God's Spirit in us. And he gives this command here that we've heard before, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And what I want to do today is just seek to answer a couple of questions with regard to, to that particular command here in this passage. Those questions are, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why do we need that? Why do we need to be filled? How do we do that? How do we obey that command for us? And what are the results of that? What does it look like? So let's start by what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, let me start by reminding us that when God works conversion in our heart, hearts, when He redeems us from sin, when He raises us up to new life through the power of Christ's death and re resurrection, He transforms us in such a way that, that we're told He takes up residence by His Spirit. So that it can be said of every true believer, you have received the Holy Spirit. As Pastor O'Donnell reminded us a couple weeks ago uh, of who the Holy Spirit is. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is one with God the Father and with God the Son. And when we are born again of the Spirit, God Himself takes up residence such that it can be said of our, our individual bodies as well as the, the corporate body of Christ that we are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ is in us. He is a, we are a dwelling place for God. John tells us in his first letter, by this we know that, that we abide in God and God abides in us because He has given us His Spirit. It's His Spirit in us. Jesus, before He would die, promised not to leave His disciples. And He said, I will send the Holy Spirit. And He said to them, you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, we're talking about a, a gift that has already been received. The Spirit of God in us, such that we can say with Paul, it's no, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me through the power of His Spirit. In us. So in one sense, we are already filled, we are already baptized and indwelt with the Spirit at our conversion. When the Holy Spirit renews our heart and God the Father, Son, and Spirit takes up residence in our lives. So if the Spirit of God in us as believers is already in us as believers, what does it mean when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit? 
Well, it means this. Seek to have your life in every way, in all areas, to be lived under the influence and the motivation and the control and the power of God who dwells in you by His Spirit. When Kathy and I met and started dating in college, I would, I would think about her all the time. I would alter my route to class in order that I could, I could pass by her on the way and hopefully have the opportunity to, to have a conversation with her. I would make up reasons to, to call her or talk to her, and I would drop other things and look for excuses to spend time with her. You could very well have said at that point in my life, I was filled with Kathy Dorian. Well, the Holy Spirit is a person, and though vastly different and divine than any divine nature in nature than any human, and being filled full of the Holy Spirit means pursuing and and finding joy and comfort and confidence and, and courage and significance and strength in the power and the promises of God that He has for us in Christ. And looking for that as opposed to anywhere, anything else in the world which will ultimately leave us empty. And I say that because of the contrast which Paul makes here in these verses. He says, look carefully then how you walk. In other words, watch out how you live your life. Don't, don't live as, as unwise, but as wise, he says. Walk in wisdom. Don't live foolishly. The Bible often holds up the, the, the contrast of what it means to walk wisely and what it means to walk as a fool. He says, don't live foolishly, but understand and live in accordance with what God's will is. And that's what we've been looking at over these past several weeks. Paul's been telling us, don't walk in the, in the divisive, ignorant, deceptive destructive, corrupt, impure, immoral, covetous, hateful, shameful ways of darkness that, that characterize the world and life apart from the grace and the transforming power of God in Christ. Rather, he says, walk in, in the unified, understanding, truthful, holy, pure, humble, kind, generous, honest, loving ways of light that characterize those who are indwelt by God in Christ through His Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit as we heard a couple weeks ago, but, but now walk by the Spirit. Be guided by the Spirit of wisdom. Live according to the Spirit of truth. Be filled with the Spirit. And to give another idea of what that looks like, Paul makes this contrast here when he says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul's primary point here is not so much about drinking too much, although we'd be good to take a pause here and say that there certainly is a firm warning against the sin of drinking to excess and where that leads. You know, we as, as Reformed believers, I'll kind of, my Baptist friends can kind of check out here, but we as Reformed believers, we, uh, especially as Presbyterians, we prize our Christian liberty. And we often are quick to point out that Jesus drank wine. And that there's no, 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 you can't make a case for abstinence from the Bible, for total abstinence. However, both Jesus and the Bible are very clear about the danger of drinking to intoxication. The good thing that is a blessing from God 
can quickly become an enslaving thing that leads to debauchery. That's what sin is. And I, like some of you, love a good beer or a good glass of wine, but it's easy, easy to be tempted and lured to want and desire more. And some here, undoubtedly, know all too well the destructive effects of too much alcohol, whether in your life or in the life of someone you love. Paul says we need to walk wisely in this area. Knowing God's will, which is clearly stated here, don't get drunk with wine or beer or liquor or hard seltzer or anything else. So like the previous sins which Paul has named, lying and stealing, corrupting talk, anger, sexual immorality, covetousness, here he says, do not be drunk with wine which leads to, to further debauchery. Rather, he says, be filled with the Spirit which leads to doxology, to praise. And so what is Paul's point here? Well, why do people get drunk? Many reasons. But often it boils down to seeking happiness, seeking joy, seeking to put out of mind or, or escape the trials and the struggles, the difficulties of life. But its effect is to, is to alter or influence or control our thoughts and actions so that we, we might feel happy or we might feel more bold or more courageous. Drunkenness is when alcohol becomes the, the guiding and the controlling factor in our thinking and our decisions and our actions and it guides and it deceives down the wrong path such that a person's thinking and their, and their decisions and their action, actions usually lead to regret or unhappiness or increased anxiety or even despair. And that's why, as physician and pastor Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones points out, in pharmacology, alcohol is considered a depressant. But the comparison Paul is making here is that the, that the opposite effect comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Like wine, being filled with the Holy Spirit does alter, it does influence, it does motivate and begin to control our thoughts and decisions and actions, but not in a way that leads to debauchery or to destruction, but rather guiding us towards a, a more clear way of thinking, a right way of making decisions and actions that leads us to true joy, true happiness, true boldness and courage in the face of difficulties. In pharmacological, is that the right word, terms, the Holy Spirit could be considered a stimulant. <laughs> Being filled with the Spirit does not lead us to briefly escape reality, but rather it, it stimulates and motivates us to enter into and face reality with confidence and with the truth and the grace of God for us. Being filled with the Spirit is is putting your joy, your hope, your significance, your confidence, your courage, your identity in God through Christ by His Spirit in us. And that leads to a growing faith and a desire and ability to live for God. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 13 that after Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel boldly, they were beaten and driven out of town by the religious leaders. And it says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So why do we need it? 
That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But why do we need this filling of the Spirit? Paul reminds us in verse 16. He says, because the days are evil. He says, make the, make the best use of the time, or, or, or probably better put, take advantage of every opportunity since the days we are living in are evil. We only have a, a short bit of time here. Will we use it? Will we live it filled with the Spirit? And Paul is not simply referring to the, the current moral and social climate back in the days of the Ephesians, which, as we've already seen, really not much different than our own. But he's, he's saying in the, in the current age, in this time between Christ's first coming and His return in glory, we live in an age where evil is still very much alive and active and growing in the world around us and even its influence in our own lives. As Christians, we of all people should understand this because of, of God's Spirit at work in us. We have been given a spirit of wisdom which comes from Christ. We can, we can see things as they really are and truly are in light of a, a biblical perspective. We have the ability because of God's Spirit to, to discern and to understand, as Paul says here, what God's will is in the face of of the evil of this age. And thus we need to be filled with the Spirit and ready to make the most of every opportunity to walk and live by the Spirit in goodness and righteousness in the midst of these evil days, Paul says. And so in, in the evil days of, of economic instability and uncertainty, it's the Spirit-filled people of God who should demonstrate absolute trust in God's provision. Sound stewardship of the resources which God gives. Overwhelming generosity to those who are in need. In the face of, of the evil threats to our, our physical being and physical safety, it is the Spirit-filled people of God who should demonstrate trust in God's protection and, and confidence that does not fear those who can kill the body, but lives with an inner peace and a and a rest that can say in the, in the face of suffering and, and threats to our safety, blessed be the name of the Lord. In a world of declining morality and of ever-growing blur between right and wrong, it's the Spirit-filled people of God who can stand firm against moral relativism and not compromise on God's truth. In evil days of corruption and injustice and oppression by those in positions of power, it's the Spirit-filled people of God who under the rule and reign of King Jesus should uphold the cause of God's justice and His freedom and His peace and equality in Christ Jesus. And to do it in a way that reflects the, the grace and truth of Christ that has love and compassion on sinners, that has hatred and condemnation for sin itself. In a world where pride and boasting and achievement and power are lauded as virtue, it's the Spirit-filled people of God who should humbly live out the way of the cross, admitting and confessing our own need, submitting ourselves to the Lord and seeking the good of others, looking to God's power to enable us to consider other, others more highly than ourselves. Only when we are filled with the power and the joy that comes, not from ourselves, not from our good works, but from the Spirit of God given to us and filling us daily, are we able to make the most of the opportunities we have to do good, 
to live fully and fruitfully for God in these evil days. And so that's why we need the Spirit's filling. So how does it happen? How do we obey this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, first we need to to recognize again that ultimately this is the work of God. It is a passive command. uh, We are to be filled. It doesn't say go and fill yourselves, but be filled. It is God who does the filling and God is the giver of His Spirit. And it's not just something that God does one time. It's a, it's a continuous ongoing thing such that you could translate the, the verb tense here. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. And since it's ongoing work of God's grace, the first step is to pray regularly. To pray regularly for God to fill us with His Spirit. When Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray, using the the pattern of the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, He goes on to talk about about being persistent in prayer. And He says in in verse 11, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Well, all of us are thinking, none of us. Jesus says, if you then, being evil, how know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts? No, He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God's greatest gift is Himself. It is to be filled with His Holy Spirit, His Spirit in us. How many of, of us are praying daily for that gift? We are eager to ask God for various things and to help us in various ways, but do we ask Him to to fill us with His Spirit, to give us Himself, that very thing which we need most? And so prayer is the first step. Are you praying daily for God to fill you with His Spirit? But the command to be filled still requires our involvement. You can think of it kind of as, as God, by His grace in Christ, He, he comes and he, he puts a powerful engine for, for life in us that is perfectly designed to run at maximum efficiency and effectiveness. The problem is sin gets in there and it, and it clogs things up. It, it pollutes the fuel. It throws off the timing. And just as there are certain steps that you can take to, to make sure the, the internal combustion engine in your car is running as it was meant to run, so God gives us ways to, to keep that, that eternal combustion engine of the Holy Spirit running at full power at maximum effectiveness in our lives. And one of those is, as Jesus said in John 16, the role of the Spirit would be to convict the world of sin. He is the Spirit of conviction. So another step in being filled with the Holy Spirit is to respond to that conviction that that, uh, comes through God's Word, through confession and repentance. As Kyle pointed out so well these past two weeks, one of the quickest ways to quench the work of the Spirit is to deny sin or seek to keep it hidden. Or, or, or deal with it half-heartedly. Being quick to confess and turn from sin, it, it opens the way for the work of the Spirit to flow, flow freely in our lives and in our relationships. There's a, there's a freedom that comes in confessing our sin to God and to each other, knowing that God has dealt with the punishment and the penalty for that sin at the cross. And so if you've 
sensed a, a lack of the Spirit's work in your life, it may be good to ask yourself, is there something that I'm hiding? Is there something that I'm holding on to more than God? Is there some idol, some sin in my life that's keeping me from being filled with the Spirit? So, so prayer and confession and repentance. But Jesus also said that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth and would, would guide His disciples into all truth. The Spirit reveals God's truth to us through His Word and helps us understand not only what it means, but how we are to, to respond and to live it out. And thus being filled with the Spirit means seeking to, to know and to live by the truth of God's Word. You cannot have a Spirit-filled life without a growing, deepening understanding and knowledge of God's Word. It just won't happen. It is there that we can understand what the Lord's will is. And indeed, this is, this is what we see in the parallel to this passage in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Turn over a couple pages, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3. Paul is giving similar exhortations to uh, the church at Colossae here. And he's, as, as we've seen in Ephesians 4 and 5, he's, he calls them to put off the ways of sin in which they used to walk, to put on righteousness. And then in Colossians 3, verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Very similar to what, what we just read in our passage in Ephesians teach and admonish one another in, in all wisdom, sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, give thanks in all things. And where does this come from? Well, in Ephesians, it comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. And here in Colossians, it comes from letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, how are we, how are we filled with the Spirit? By having the Word of God. The life-giving Word of God dwelling in you richly, exposing your mind, filling your soul, letting your life be, be driven, be motivated, be, be controlled by the truth of God's Word. The empty words of the world deceive and, and darken our mind, but God's Word exposes and enlightens the mind to His truth. So what are you filling your mind with? Most of us don't have too much trouble knowing what the government or media or academia, or entertainment industry, or pop cultural icons have to say about the issues of life in these evil days. But how many of us know what God's Word has to say? Being filled with the Spirit means we must listen to the Spirit, which means we must go to where the Spirit speaks, and that is through the Spirit-inspired, Spirit-illumined Word of our God. So again, as we were challenged before, what are, we, what are we putting before our eyes? What are we listening to with our ears? What are we storing up in our hearts? Are we being filled with the empty lies of deception and darkness? Or are we letting the Spirit of God fill us with the light and the life of God's truth in Christ Jesus? And it's not just knowing God's Word, but it's believing and obeying God's Word as well. In the book of Acts, we read about Stephen and about Barnabas, and we're told that they were men full of faith and the Holy Spirit. 
The question is not just are we reading, are we hearing, are we studying the Word, but are we believing it? Are we putting our faith in it? Are we living according to that Word embodied in our Lord Jesus Christ? In Acts 5.32, Peter is sharing the Gospel before the council of elders, and he says, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. Spirit-filled believers are not just hearers of the Word, but they are doers. One who believes and trusts and lives according to the truth of God. And then if we are to be filled with the Spirit, we need to be in the community of God's people where the Spirit unites us as one in the body of Christ. Paul's already reminded us there is a bond that we have as the church. The unity of the Spirit is stronger than any other bond of relationship. We have been joined together as one with God and with one another by the Spirit of God in us. Each of us is members of one another. And as we saw back in chapter 4, each is gifted by Christ to serve and benefit one another. So being filled with the Spirit is not just a, a personal thing. It's not just an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. It requires us to be a community with others where together the Spirit of the Lord is at work and through us ministering to one another. And this gets us to the results of the Spirit-filled life which Paul addresses here. And I'm going to try to move through these quickly. There are four participles in these verses that give definition to what being filled with the Spirit looks like. And they are, they are speaking and singing and giving thanks and submitting. We might put it like this. A Spirit-filled life involves encouragement. It involves worship. It involves thanksgiving. And it involves serving. When you are filled with the Spirit, we speak differently. That's what Paul's been, been saying through this letter. Notice he says, address or speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, you kind of think, well, what is that? Are we supposed to go around singing to one another all the time when we address each other? Well, that would be a bad idea, but... But Paul's focus here is, 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 not, is speaking not so much on the music part, but on the content of our speech. It should be filled with the things of God. Our speech, our conversation with one another should be characterized by God's truth. We should teach. We should admonish. We should encourage. We should build one another up by speaking the truth of God to one another. And yes, sometimes that comes as we, you know, many of the Psalms were written as praise to God, but they're also written as instruction and, and encouragement to one another. It comes as we, we hold forth the doctrines of God in our lives together. Our speech towards God and one another should, should reflect the worship and magnify the glory and the grace of God and how badly that is needed in our world today and in the church. All our speech should be seasoned with grace and full of God's truth. But our hearts and lives should also overflow with song. He says, singing and making melody, not just with our lips, but, but, but deep in our hearts. We don't just say the words, but we are, we, they are coming and flowing from out, out from our very being to the Lord. And this is why singing is such a key element in our relationship with God. He loves the, the melody of music. And indeed, that, that melody and that harmony reflects the the melodic and harmonic work of His Spirit in us as, as the body of Christ. When we are filled with the Spirit, we will overflow with song. You may not sing very well. I don't sing very well. <laughs> but the Spirit of God in us causes us to, to overflow 
with the melody of God's grace and joy and truth. And he says, we'll overflow with thanksgiving, not just sometimes and for some things, but look at what he says. Always, thanksgiving always and for everything. Mark of the Spirit in us is, is a life characterized by thankfulness. Thankfulness. I'm amazed at how little you hear those simple words today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Such is not the case with God's people. As we walk in the Spirit, we realize that, that we truly have been blessed with every spiritual blessing and we recognize the riches that are ours in Christ and we know that our hope is not in this world but in, in the life we have with God and so we can be thankful always and in everything because of God's Spirit in us. And lastly, the Spirit enables us to submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're able to put others before ourselves. And Paul's going to go on to talk about this, particularly in the relationships within our, our homes and, and the workplace and our everyday relationships. But it, it's ultimately submitting ourselves to the Lord and then looking to seek the good of others, to sacrifice our own rights, to encourage and build up and serve others in submission. Can you hear that, that joy and that harmony, the freedom? The, the gratitude, the other-centeredness of, of those verses? Wouldn't you like your life, your home, your workplace, your friendships, your church, even your communities to be described as a place where people are speaking uplifting and encouraging words of truth to one another? Where a song is ready and plentiful and people are, are joy-filled and glad and, and constantly thankful, even in the midst of hard, difficult things. Where people are thinking about others more than themselves and seeking to use their, their gifts and their, their uh, the resources to benefit others. Well, that happens. That happens. That is what the church is. It happens when we are being filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our relationships. This is life in the Spirit. This is God in us. This is Christ living through us. And that's what happens when God's people are willing to stop getting, getting drunk on the empty promises and pleasures of this world and start asking and seeking and pursuing God's work in our lives through the power and presence of His Spirit. It's interesting that at, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus' disciples and they were, they were filled with the Spirit in a powerful way for that that. Uh, particular time and place. They began speaking the truth of God to one another and to the people around them in the languages of the people. And many saw them and said, these guys are drunk. They've drunk too much wine. It was obvious that they were, they were under the influence of something. And the only explanation that many could find for such unbridled joy, such boldness in, in sharing God's truth is that they'd had too much to drink. But Peter corrects them, saying these men are not drunk. Rather, they are experiencing what God had promised through the prophets to pour out His Spirit on all in the hearts of His people. To fill His people with, with His Spirit. And true joy, true life will not be found in a bottle or in a bed or in a bank account or in a big promotion or in anything else that may seem to fill us for a moment but will ultimately fade away and leave us empty and wanting. True joy is found in believing and trusting and following Christ and being filled daily with the power, presence, and peace 
of His Holy Spirit. And nobody stays full of the Spirit all the time. We all have times where that joy is not there. Where we are not thankful. Where we are not submitting to God's truth or to one another. But it need not be so. And that's why Paul gives this command. Pray daily for God to fill you with His Spirit. Ask Him to live in and through you in such a way that that you are overflowing with faith and with joy and with truth and with grace. Spend time daily using the the tools that He's given for doing that. Being quick to, to acknowledge and confess our sin and not just confess it, but to turn from it. Get involved in in daily being in His Word and and asking God not just to help you understand it, but to believe it and to live it. Be bold in our our witness and in our serving of others through encouraging words and acts of mercy and service. Fill your heart and your home with the music to the Lord and look for ways to be thankful in all things. And if the Spirit of God is living in you and in us, By faith in Jesus Christ, God will not withhold His gift. He loves and delights to fill us with Himself to the fullness that we might overflow in love to others. And as you do that, as we do that, together as God's people, we will stand out. People will be able to look and say, that one's different. That person's different. We will shine like lights in the darkness. And we will be able to bear the fruit of what is good and right and true through the gospel in these evil days. Let's pray together. Lord, we come again and we thank you that you have poured out on all flesh male and female, Jew and Gentile, black and white, slave and free, your spirit. You have filled us with your son, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection for our sin. And Father, it's by your grace that we can live as lights in this world, that we can live in the love and walk in the love and the unity and the purity which you have secured for us. And Father, we need your, the filling of your Spirit daily, your power at work in us. And we thank you that you have promised that, and you have poured it out, and delight to pour it out more and more as we come to you in your Word and in prayer, as we walk in wisdom and in grace. Lord, I pray that if there are those here this morning who have never known the power and the redeeming work of your Son, Jesus, through your Spirit in them, that you would fill them, even now for the first time, that they might know you and know your love. And then, Father, would you use us as a church to be a Spirit-filled people in this community, to our neighbors, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes. Would you shine your light from this place into our neighborhoods, around here, and even into the world. And Lord, would you do that for your glory, by your grace, and for the growth and expansion of your kingdom.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.